Well, it's, um, it's good to be with you guys. It's, it's, uh, um, it's actually challenging for me to, to be here tonight because you guys have the, uh, the availability of two incredible teachers that are in your midst all the time, which is Pastor Tim and, um, and his able-bodied assistant, Tammy, there. And uh, they're two of the best teachers I know in the area. So when Pastor Tim and I get together for breakfast every now and then, he manages to uh, always tie a couple knots in my brain before I get done with my eggs that it takes me a couple weeks to unpack and you're like, what exactly was he saying there? I need to ponder that. So to, to be here tonight to, to teach, is, it is an honor. And um, uh, my, what I liked... Oh, thank you. I probably will. What I... Um, what I like to do is I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how things are. What I would like to do is dialogue with you about what your experience has been, what, like when you look at the scriptures, how does that work in your own life, when you're trying to sort through just how does all, how does all this stuff fit? Um, none of us have this all wired. I mean, tonight I'm talking about the authority of the believer. And even uh, just yesterday, I was meeting with uh, a family that I'm having a memorial service for somebody that passed in their family on Sunday, or that one's Saturday morning. I have two this weekend, Saturday morning and Sunday afternoon. Um, and just in that, just in this brief time of dialoguing back and forth with this lady, uh, we again, I mean, she's from our church, and uh, the, it was her sister that passed, and here's somebody that we had prayed for, she had prayed for, you know, spent time in the hospital at different times, she, she passed from cancer, and, uh, and sometimes we saw some things improve, but then they turned around and went the other way, and ultimately... Uh, we all, you know, watched this disease keep taking her until there wasn't anything left. And for some people, I guess, for some of us in our Christian walk, as we sort through that stuff, it, it's, it's easy to just say, well, I just think it's just the will of God. If that, something like that happens, it's just the will of God. And for others of us, whether we fully uh, accept this or not, we start, and you'll hear us say, um, well, you know, um, God's in control. And, and we'll use phrases like that. And think, well, when I'm using a phrase, when I say God's in control, what am I actually saying? I mean, am I, am I saying that everything that goes on around me, God is just in control? Well, if that's the case, I have some serious issues with God. Um, some of you know our story, and, and um, some years ago, 2001, actually our oldest daughter was killed in a car accident, right not a mile from our church, almost right in front of um, Dover Windows. And up until that point, I would say I was probably somebody that, that had a much firmer belief system in God's in control. But then that plunged me into a three-year, I don't know where I was, 
but it was a three-year journey through a really dark place of going, God, I mean, if you're in control, then the way you run things doesn't make sense to me. My daughter was 22. She was ready to really start life. There was all these things that were just ahead of her. And within months of the just ahead of her beginning, she was gone. All right. Well, if you're in control, you know, what does that, what does that mean? And how do, how do I adjust to that? I mean, because, and, and I guess for some people, and, I, and I've tried to dialogue with this with folks, and for some of us, we, we can say that God's in control, and then we tag it by saying, well, the ways of God are higher than the ways of man, so who can search the mind of God? I don't know what God's doing, but I just have faith that ultimately he knows what he's doing, and it all just works out. Well, the, if we go down that road of thinking, and, I, and I'm working my way towards authority, I'm just walking you through the mud puddle that I lived in as it was all unfolding. So if I, if I take that approach, ultimately I bring myself to a place and my, my belief system brings me to a place that if God is in charge, then I'm not in charge. And if I'm not in charge, I also have no responsibility all I can do is submit. And in my submission, most of the time, I'm clueless. And then we tag that and we call that faith. And many of us go through our whole spiritual journey in that place. The problem is, how, how is that at all, it, the problem in my mind, how is that all relational to the God who said he wants to be relational with me? Now, I, I get the fact that there's a lot of things that God does I don't understand. He does not consult me on a regular basis about things that he's doing. So I get that, and I, and I get that there are within... If I'm going to be a Christ follower, within that following, there should always be some level of mystery. But mysteries are not things that are hidden from me so I can never see. Mysteries are things that are waiting for me in discovery. And there's a difference. So, tonight I want to talk about, and I want to share with with. With all of us, and as I say, by all means, feel free to ask questions or go, I have no idea what you're saying. Um, if, you, if you do tell me that, the, the, usually the problem with that is I don't either. So I don't know that I can help you much if you don't know what I'm saying. But, um, but anyway, the, this idea of mystery is the, the, this mystery of authority. What is it? How do we actually walk it out? And... I don't have time tonight to unpack all this, and I know that Tim and Tammy can do a much better job of this anyway. I don't, I don't hold to the fact that God is in control. I do hold to the, that God is in charge. And there's a big difference between being in control and being in charge. 
And any of us that have ever man been a manager or owned a business or anything like that, we know the difference. God is not a micromanager. He actually operates on the macro on a regular basis, but then he'll come to us individually, and yet at the same time, he rules and reigns from the macro or from the extended. So the mystery is, how does this thing work? If he is, if he is in charge, so let's, let's open to a start at Matthew chapter 28. Couple verses, we'll read through this and we'll just see where this goes. So, does this give me the answers if I don't have them? I just push a button? It looks like, you know, the little. I'm almost afraid to, but I will. Must be, because it's just going blip, blip. So anyway, we didn't, I shouldn't be playing with that anyways. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's a ton of stuff that he's addressing in just these three verses. A lot of that I'm just not even going to address tonight because I want us to focus on this place of authority. So Jesus now, he's at, the, he's at the end of the journey. He's getting ready to, you know, things are wrapping up on what he needed to do. And he's now investing into those that are going to go. And so the first thing I want us to, to think about in authority is, again, I've, I've been in the church for quite a while, and I've been in various churches. Linda and I were saying the other day, I, I got, let me see if I can remember my progression. I was um, somewhat raised in a Presbyterian church. I got saved in a Baptist church. We worked in a Methodist church. And then we pioneered an independent church. And yeah, and we were, and in that whole thing, there was a lot of baptism of the Holy Spirit going on. So I've kind of been in a lot of different things. And one of, the, one of the things that I've noticed is this place of authority, especially those of us that, you know, uh, have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk about, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles, the power of the Spirit. There's those things. And so in that, we have this place of authority. And one of the things that I've noticed historically with the groups, at least I traveled with and with myself, has been oftentimes authority, the way we try to ex exercise it, is very self-centered. So the authority I'm trying to exercise is authority that gets me blessed. I have the authority to call this in. I have the authority to do that. I have the authority to go over here. So, and those may be true to a point, but I find it interesting that Jesus says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So first, the authority was with him. So going through the, the uh, crucifixion, the resurrection, uh, descending in Hades, coming forth, all the things that took place, the ascension, 
all the things that took place brought him to a place of full authority. So in both heaven and earth, he has full authority. Now, in that authority, what, is he, what did he gain? He gained the authority to appoint and to delegate on the earth what, need, what needed to be done for the kingdom. So he's first appointing to this group of people. So all authority is now with me, which means I have the authority to appoint whoever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want. So he immediately turns to them and says, okay, this is what my authority, now that I have all authority, this is what authority looks like. You give it away. And in giving the authority away, the, the goal isn't for my personal self-edification. The authority that I receive, the authority that you receive as a believer, the authority is always for someone else. Because if we're going to be a kingdom or a yeah, kingdom of priests and of kings, so there's two things that we, in Revelations, it talks about kings and priests. So if I'm going to be a function as a priest, what is the role of the priest? The role of the priest is to be the one, if you want to say the intercessor, but he's the one or she's the one that's there to, to see where someone is in a broken state and to mediate, to connect that person in the broken state with the healer who is able to bring all things into subjection, into wholeness. So the authority that I have is to be able to go into a place of darkness, extract somebody out of that place of darkness, and bring them to a place of light where now they can have an encounter with Jesus Christ. So my authority is an authority to go to make disciples, to, to uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So I can, if we want to refer to that as sacrament, I have the authority in Christ to actually go and exercise the, the sacrament. So now in the authority of the believer, if somebody comes to you and they just get born again, and then they're like, wow, what do I, what do I need to do? And you go, well, I, you, should, you should get baptized. That would be a good thing. Well, you don't have to run around town finding the baptizer. You can just baptize them. And you baptizing that individual, it is as legitimate as if Jesus himself baptized them. It's the authority that we've been given. And so we now, so again, it's not an edification for me. It's a, I'm now functioning in the role of a priest. You're functioning in the role of a priest with the authority that's there to, to be able to come in. So here he says, you know, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Uh, oh, that was the other verse. We'll get to the other one. Well, in Mark, where he's saying, you know, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Well, what are we doing? We, we are the kingdom that, has been, that was established on the earth at the ascension of Christ, that was um, brought into its fullness with the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So the fullness of the Godhead was now brought onto the earth to affect the earth and, and convert the earth to its rightful place 
as the creation of the Father. All right? So what are we doing? We're actually, re, um, we're actually converting the earth today back to, I, should, I hate that word, not, not back. We're not going back. We're going forward. But, well, let's look at it this way. I have the ability, you have the ability, when we are dealing with somebody and they're brought out of darkness into wholeness, into freedom, we are taking what was and we're bringing it into the present and putting that into a person in a way that they can take it into the future. So we're not going backwards, we're always going forward, but the model we have is that there's this place where on a certain day the father would walk with Adam would walk with Eve and there would be a conversation that took place about how earth worked, about how life worked, about what their involvement in all this was. So that's what we're doing now with people. So the shift in thinking though in, in this, if we're going to talk about authority, the shift of thinking has to be that my goal is not to get you to say the sinner's prayer and then your goal is to wait until you get to go to heaven. And in between, I'm not sure what we're doing. And most, you know, so that's not the goal. The goal is when someone says Jesus However you say it, you're saying, Jesus, my heart is yours. And, and I, mean, I think most of us had no clue what that meant. And I was saying to, to some guys at Teen Challenge this week, I said, when, when I got saved in 1972, I had been in a church meeting, I came out, I'm leaning against a car, and I, it was a weird place I was in because what was going on in that meeting was just in my mind bizarre because at that point my only idea of what Christianity looked like was a Presbyterian church and now I was just in a meeting with charismatic people and my brain was popping I had been taken in two very very different worlds and so I was in one respect I was um just really appalled by the whole thing. Couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And yet at the same time, I was feeling captivated by the very thing I was appalled by. So I found myself in this conflict. So I leave the meeting towards the end, went out, leaned against my car, and I just said, Jesus, if you are who they say you are, I think I would like to meet you. Now, to me... That was like an introductory question. And Jesus seemed to not pay attention to my question. He just showed up and said, oh, by the way, I'm not leaving. Like, well, don't we like have a dating period? I mean, I said, I think I would like to meet you. I don't know that I would like to meet you. I, and after seeing the people that you hang with, I'm not sure. I just was saying, I think I might. And you show up and go, done deal. I'm like, huh. Now, in the world I'm in, I don't know anything about sin. I've never cracked the Bible. Uh, you know, we went to church. You know, we were 
we were, well, you go Christmas, because that's when they have the Christmas pageant. And you go Easter, because that's when they have the Easter pageant. And when I was smaller, you went to vacation Bible school, because that's how your mom got you out of the house for a week. <laughs> and that was my experience. So, you know, when people say, well, I don't know, you know, did, did you pray this way? I'm like, I didn't pray at all. I asked a question. And God ignored my question and just showed up and then never left. And then started filling me in as life went on. I eventually, when people said, oh, well, this is how you pray the sinner's prayer. And, you know, because then we, you know, that was Romans Road. We had, to know, we had to know those scriptures and, you know, the four spiritual laws and all that kind of stuff. And I learned all that because we had to go out on the street and witness to other people and get them to do that too. But when I realized that, and I said to people, I'm like, well, I never said that prayer. And there were some people that felt like I was not legitimately saved. Because if you didn't confess your sins, then it doesn't count. And I'm like, well, if I knew that there were sins, I probably would have said something. I didn't know I was a sinner. I didn't know I was that person. And somehow God showed up and he didn't really dialogue with me about that. He could have, I think, but it didn't seem to be important to him. What seemed to be important to him was that I had said, I think I'd like to know you. That seemed to be what was important, right? So this place of authority, we, in the churches that I was in, then, then authority became this like very controlling thing. And it doesn't take long before you, you know that person has authority. And, oh, by the way, you don't. I'm sorry. No, you don't have authority because you haven't been here long enough. You don't know enough. We, whatever, whatever our grid is for who gets authority, you don't have it. But these over here, they have authority. So I, I lived in that world. I, I don't live in that world any longer. However, um, well, I mean, no, I mean, just not say that. I don't live in that world any longer. So where authority comes now to me, this is a relational thing. Jesus says, I've just received everything. And in the kingdom, this is the way it works. Freely you've received, freely give. So this authority I've just received, here. Now you take it. And when you take it, this is what it should look like when you do something with it. So go. Make disciples. It, it's, it, it's amazing to me that we, like, we're, we're so, we can be so uh, cautious about things. Like, when somebody, you know, if somebody becomes a Christian, then, you know, we immediately want to plunge them into, you know, ongoing Bible study, and we've got to get you, you know, we take this thing of making disciples, and we turn it into something that's very controlling, very manipulative, where we just keep putting on, putting on, and, and you know, we're, we're, we're quick to point out to somebody something that we consider to be a flaw in their life that they should be addressing and they're not addressing it. You should fix this and you're not fixing it. And are you praying enough, fasting enough, studying enough? Do you not, do you not care? Whatever we do, you realize like Jesus has such 
um, um, such confidence in what Holy Spirit is able to do that on the night that he's about to be betrayed, he's not even concerned about that, but instead takes time to have a meal with the boys and then wash their feet knowing that these guys around the table, one's already split and the other 11 are only there because they don't know where to go. And in short time, they're all going to be scattered. But Jesus' confidence in what the Holy Spirit can do and what Father's plans are, that he was able to wash their feet, demonstrate to them, this is how you serve. Because authority is always about serving somebody, not lording over them. And anytime I get around somebody that says that they have authority and they give me their buzzwords, but if what I see is control, then they don't have authority. What they really have is fear. Because real authority, there's no fear in real authority. Because I know where my authority comes from. Jesus wasn't afraid. On the night that he was about to be betrayed, he had the wherewithal, the, the mind to be able to spend that time with the men, do what he did, and knowing that I'm about to release you, and even being able to say to them, you know, this isn't going to look so good for a couple days, guys. Yeah, but hang in there. Hang in there. The way things look aren't the way things are. Hang in there. And once the, once the, he, the resurrection came, what did he do? He started to put them back together. But even with that... You know, we, so now we've got from the resurrection to Pentecost, and, and we get to Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes, Jesus ascends, and um, well, Jesus ascends, then Holy Spirit comes. Get the get the order right. But he is leaving everything to this ragtag group of people in an upper room. in the middle of a culture that is one of the probably most oppressive cultures that, uh, that in, uh, the world could see, the Roman Empire. And he's about to release the kingdom into this. And he actually trusts these people to pull it off. I don't even understand that. Now, that's a mystery to me right there. I don't even understand that plan. But yet I know I'm a part of that plan. And that he does the same for us on an ongoing basis. All I said was, if you are who they say you are, and I hadn't really heard them say much about who he was, I want to know you. That was sufficient for the creator of the universe to come into my heart to do something that I didn't even know what it was, to change me in a way that I didn't even understand what that change was, I felt it. I couldn't explain it. I was sure it was going to wear off. It didn't. He stayed. And here I am now. That was, I was 17, and here I am now about to be 64. And... 
when I tell that story, I have to be careful because I can go right back to that night. And I can be right back there. And I can feel everything that I felt. And I can hear what he said. And it's never gotten less. It's never gone away. And I'm still trying to figure it out. But that's the authority that he comes. He comes to give. And then when he gives to me, he gives to you. The the expectation and the authority that we carry is, now that you've received, now go give. Because authority is always about serving. It's, you know, and it... It's across the board. I mean, it's the little things, it's the big things. I I mean, in our our experience at the house, at at this point, now we haven't had this happen now in a couple years. We seem to be on a roll there for a while. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what, what, what shifted necessarily, but We've seen people raised from the dead. So I've seen the power of God move in a person's life that is dead and bring them back to life. So I know what that looks like. And I can talk to the two of the people. I can talk to those people today. And it's been years ago that this event happened. So I know that side of it. And sometimes we, especially those of us in charismatic circles, we're enamored with the power. We're enamored with the power gifts. I mean, I like that. If somebody's going to come in and, you know, even like, like the story I started with at the beginning of the night when we were praying for this lady that uh, ultimately passed from cancer. We've had people healed from stage four cancer for years. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not unusual to see that happen. Uh, in this case, it didn't happen, but I love the power. I love when, when somebody walks in and just, oh, here I am. I need to be healed. All right, in Jesus' name. And you just go for it. You, 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 you grab the power that's available, and bam, you watch something happen, and you walk away going, that was incredible. That was incredible. You know, we tell the stories, and we all get excited about the stories. And so the, the power of the Holy Spirit is incredible, and we should never be at a place where we lose our zeal to access it. And, and don't ever let the times that it doesn't happen write your story. That's not your story. Your story is the times that it did happen. We, I, I don't, when I was here last, I don't know if we told this, if I told this story, if I did, somebody just wave your hand and I'll stop. But we had a young man in our church who was on our worship team who was, had cancer and we didn't see the victory come in praying. It was up and down for a while and then, then he ultimately um, passed. But one of the things that a lot of us have done is we've a- included in our living wills that our church, the people from the house, uh, you know, they have the right and we want them to come in and pray for us at least three days after we've died because you can hold off the undertaker for three days without getting embalmed. And I don't think that embalming is the final word either because I know that we've not seen it, but I know of stories of people that have been raised even after they've been embalmed. But anyway, many of us have put that in our living will that 
members of the church have the right to come and pray over us after we've died and they have full access to our bodies for three days. So Brad had done this. So we're, you know, we're all geared up. We're going to go pray for Brad. He was at the funeral home in Dover. And um, <clears throat> of course, we had to make arrangements with the family because Brad, you know, he had uh, two sisters and a brother, I think it was, you know, and then they're all adults, so there was children and so forth. But, you know, the family were nominal believers, but Brad had put in everything that we had access to pray for him. So we made arrangements with the funeral home to go and pray. So, you know, we get there, and the two funeral directors, they meet us in the lobby, and, you know, we walk into the chapel area, and they've got Brad, and they've got him on an ice blanket and laying on a, laying on a bed, and, or, you know, not a bed, but a gurney. And um, the, the family, the two sisters and the brother were there. And so we all, there was like six of us or so, right, about that. So we all started praying for Brad. And we, I mean, we just, we were taking turns. We're laying hands on him. We're calling him back to life. We're just, we're just praying whatever was coming to mind. Uh, corporately, praying one-on-one. Um, there was a couple times where it seemed like his body was, was warming, even though it was on an ice blanket. You know, I don't know if it was actually, or we had our hands on him, so I don't know if we were warming, warming him up or something was actually happening. You know, different things. But the long and the short of it was we, we were there for an hour and a half, two hours maybe. And there was a point where you felt the family shift. Like, they were, they were tracking with us and were fine. And then there was this point where they kind of went and sat down and you could feel them shift. And I looked at everybody and I said, I, I, think, I think we've probably gone as far as we can go. Because Brad was not our project. And this family that was sitting there had just lost a brother, and our priority was not to prove that we can raise somebody from the dead. Our priority was to love that family that's sitting there on the pew and be conscious of what they're going through. And so I went over to the one sister that seemed to be the the leader of the three, and I said, "Um, what 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 would you like us to do? How do you feel right now? And she's well, I think, I think I've kind of had enough. I said, that's fine. So we really appreciate you guys, you know, honoring Brad's wishes. Um, and, you know, so we prayed for them. We loved on them. And we left. And a couple days later, we had Brad's funeral. Now, I'm telling that story because what doesn't happen is not what writes our story. It's what does happen. And so we've seen others raised from the dead, but because Brad wasn't raised from the dead, do you then change how you see things? and go? Well, I just don't think we should be praying for people like this. You know, I, I don't think we should do this. I mean, if, if we were supposed to be doing it, he would have just been raised from the dead. Well... This whole thing of power and authority, I'm still learning. I, I don't have this whole thing figured out. Um, I can't tell you why 
we can watch one person be healed of stage four cancer and Brad die. I, I can't explain that to you. But I do know that the things I can explain and the things that don't go according to what I, I see scripture speaking to me, then I don't create a new story that lets me off the hook. And I'm not going to drop back to, well, God's in charge or in control. I'm not going to drop back to that. He's in charge. He's delegated something to me. He's delegated something to us. He's delegated the Holy Spirit. He's put that in us, and he's given us a charge of what we're supposed to be doing with what we've been given. And until he tells me differently, I only, that's the only option I have. It says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And they're not giving me any other options. So I'm going to lay hands on the sick. And I'm going to believe. And I see many recover and I see many that don't. And I don't know what the percentages are. There was a time where I played with that number, but I've, I've stopped that now. I don't really care what the percentages are. Because it's really not a performance. You know, it's the power of God being displayed on the earth so that men and women that we all encounter, we can be the role of the priest and bring them to, into relationship with God. And we can be the intermediary between heaven and earth for this individual, whether it's the homeless person on the street, it's the person in the hospital, it's the person sitting on a pew here on a Sunday that you've never seen before. We each get the ability and the privilege to be that one that gets to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. I get to be the connector. And that's a huge, huge privilege. And that's what our authority is. So it's never about controlling. It's actually about liberating. It's always about liberating. So um, turn to, everybody okay? You're all, you're all real quiet here, so I'm just, but I haven't stopped talking either, right? So. Luke 9, this is just uh, another verse where he is charging them. Luke 9, 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And, they, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So in this place of authority, there is supposed to be some place where we're seeing authority being manifest. Right? So if I'm going to cast out a devil, it should be obvious when that happens. If nothing happens, then I don't know that I did anything. But I'm to go out, proclaim the kingdom, and to perform healing. So I have authority over demons and to heal the sick. You have authority over demons and to heal the sick. And I, without going too far down this road, but even with the whole idea of authority over demons... Uh, you know, Paul says, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers in high places. And there's, in that context, the principalities and powers aren't necessarily like a entity. 
And, and I know that you guys in Sozo, like with us, you know, we begin to talk a lot about the lies that we believe and mindsets that we take on. And, and in a lot of places, what we're really coming up against isn't like an entity, like there's a demon standing in that door. And that's what I'm going to deal with. And the demon is somehow disassociated with everything around it. I would just submit that I haven't seen that case very often. I have seen it, but not very often. Usually what I see, and usually what you experience, is the principality and the ruler of a high place that we're actually dealing with is a mindset. And it's a mindset that can sweep in and take over a whole group of people where everybody begins to think in a certain way. We, we buy into a lie. We buy into a way of seeing something. And next thing you know, a whole group becomes pulled into something that if you talk to them on another day in another place, they would look at you and say, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe that. But they take on a corporate belief system that's the principality that we really are dealing with. And so the authority that we've been given is the authority of the gospel, which is the truth. So if I'm going to dislodge this demonic force, to use that term, I'm not dislodging it with, well, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. What I am dislodging it with is the truth. The truth of what, that comes against the lie that's caused this, this deception to settle on a whole uh, group. And we can watch this happen. It can happen um, in, our own, in our own church experience years back. We, we had this real, man, the power of God just fell. It was an awesome time and there's all kinds of stuff happening. And we all look back on those particular days with great fondness and can see so much that God was doing. And towards the end, one person began to, to complain about how things were being done. And within a two, three month period, everything that had been going on had stopped and we were in the middle of a full-blown church split. And you sit and you go, how did we, how did we get there? You know, it's only been last week. We were all like in the presence of God getting plowed and laughing and enjoying him and enjoying each other and loving each other. And all these things were present. And then all of a sudden, this belief system settled, which was what's being done is being done incorrectly. And the leader is the, i.e. me, is the one that is really screwing everything up. And before you know it, you know, we watch, we went from a, we went from a congregation about the size we are now, about 120, 130, down to, I don't know, maybe 45. And then we rested there for a minute and then got with 20 more. And I'm like, what in the world? How did this happen? Now, in, in our mindset at that time, I could have looked at, the, and I probably did look at it, like, well, this, this is a demon. A demon invaded this place, and somehow this demonic power has come in, and look what he's done. And so, you know, if we pray harder, fast harder, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was we all corporately 
began to, to believe something that wasn't really a reality. It wasn't really true. It had pieces of truth in it, but not nearly enough truth to cause what happened to happen. Not enough truth in it that simple conversation and a coming together in prayer could not have fixed it. But we didn't do that. We gave in to a principality, to a stronghold. And we were years getting on the other side of it. Years getting on the other side of it. And it came like that. So here's this place where Jesus is saying, I'm giving you power and authority over all demons and to heal sick, heal diseases. So when we're, when we're moving in authority, my authority is the power of the gospel, it's the truth of the gospel, it's the fact that the word of God is, is able to come into a person's heart and do something that I can't even figure out how that works. How is it that you can read a verse out of, well, I can't really say this book, but out of my iPad, you can read a verse. Like, that's even amazing in itself. We've gone from books to iPads. And after a while, you know it's just going to be like, there'll be just like this thing here, and I'll be able to just point to it. And, I mean, we're only like weeks away. And probably somebody's already got it. They just can't market it yet. You know, that's just that's the world we live in. But how is it that... You can read a verse and something in that verse is sufficient to go straight to your heart and cause you to see something differently than you saw it before. How does that happen? It's incredible that it happens. But that's the authority that we have. That's why the scriptures are so powerful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I probably should shut that off just in case. That's in case you and Amanda start texting. So, so the authority that we have is to go and, and against, um, we have the authority over demons. Now, let's just, just unpack that for just a little bit. So the authority I have now is over something. So, if I have authority over something, I don't have to get down and like somehow battle it. Where I'm, it's, a, it's a fist fight and whoever gets the last punch, you know, finally the demon goes, okay, I'm out of here. You just bloodied my nose. Now, I actually have authority over it already. And in the, and in the scenario that I gave you about our own church, had at that time we had understood what we understand now, the authority that we had was never to be drawn into it in the first place. We actually have authority over this thing. But what we did, we saw it as individuals thinking, I have authority over you or you have authority over me. I can control you. You can control me and all this stuff, which was not authority. And given that, we just began to devour each other until there was nothing left. But you know, Jesus, he walked in authority, right? So he could walk into a situation and on one side, it just again, Mark chapter 3, I think it is. This just, the story always just flips me out. So he's ministering, right? He's out in the public. And so and there's people that are, demons are screaming and coming out of them. 
Over here, he's got the Pharisees heckling him at everything that he does. Around him, he's got the boys all trying to figure out who's going to be in charge. And to make the matters worse yet, his mom shows up and brings his brother saying, drag him back to the house. He's out of his mind. I'm like, what a perfect day of ministry. Can it get any better than this when your mother shows up at the church service with your siblings and says, get him home. Just get him home. He's lost it. I'm like, and yet Jesus had the wearable because he had authority over. He did not have to battle into it. He merely just kept doing what he knew he was called to do. And so I have authority. You have authority over it. So that in having authority over it, I don't have to battle it to try to defeat it. I actually, it's already defeated. I'm already over it. So when I begin to, to I, I think in this, and at least what I see in verse 1, so we have power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So one of the problems I see, and we encounter a lot with when we're praying for the sick, is, again, the mindset that they have, and I would, so this is why I started down this trail. Oftentimes, I've run in, I run into people who are sick and they've already accepted the sickness as somehow it has a, uh, a right to be there. So, I'm, you know, God's just teaching me patience or I, you know, I really messed up, you know, and so now it's this. And if I had only just lived better when I was 18, you know, my back would be doing better now that I'm 35. Whatever, whatever it is. But we, we come into an agreement with something that's actually there illegally. And we've now positioned ourselves to, to not expect anything to change. That's a stronghold. So we come in, I say we, those of us that are ministering, when I realize that I have the, I have the power to, that through me healing can come, but I also have the authority over that principality or that stronghold that's holding that person's heart. So oftentimes the, the, the biggest battle is to liberate the heart from the belief system that says this thing can't leave, it's supposed to be here. And once that happens, the physical part, the body is going to align with where the heart is. Here's a guy who's praying for a lady at a uh, church nearby. I was speaking there on a Sunday morning, and she came forward and she said, I'm having all kinds of you know, in intestinal issues and digestive issues, and I'm in pain all the time, and da-da-da. And... Um, I said, so you, are you in pain now? Yes, I'm in pain now. I said, okay, well, and I was just getting ready to lay hands on her and pray for healing. And as quick as I started to do that, Holy Spirit checked me and said, it's unforgiveness. And so I just backed up for a minute. And I looked at her and I said, I, you know, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just asking a question. I said, but are you, are you dealing like with unforgiveness? And she's, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I forgive everybody. I love everybody. She gave me all the proper Christian answers. I mean, she was, she was a saint. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just saying, I just, you know, was kind of sensing that there might be some unforgiveness. And she goes, no, no, I, you know, I pray for everybody. I forgive everybody. She goes, I just wish people would, would, would learn to forgive my son. I'm like, okay, I don't know where that came from, but 
Why do people need to forgive your son? I mean, what's up with that? She goes, well, my son's an alcoholic, and he's, you know, he's made a lot of enemies, and he's hurt a lot of people, and people really, they don't forgive him. They don't give him a second chance, and, and well, it just really hurts me that people don't forgive my son. It really hurts you. Well, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what's, what does that feel like? She says, well, you know, I just, you know, my son's, you know, he's, you know, he's a good boy, you know, but just has made some bad mistakes and people just won't give him a chance. And I just wish they would. And, you know, we, we dialogued a little bit longer. Ultimately, I, I looked at her and I said, are you, are you sure you're not like, carrying unforgiveness for the people that don't forgive your son? And she said, well, maybe I have a little. Okay. I've just spent 10 minutes trying to get to this point, but I'm glad that we're here. And so, you know, I said, if you confess the unforgiveness, you'll be healed. And she said, do you really think? Yeah, I think so. So I said, just pray it out. Just pray out. Just pray whatever you need to pray. Ask for forgiveness. Repent for carrying that towards those people that haven't forgiven your son. And it might be good to forgive your son too. She prayed all that out. She got done. Now she's just standing there. She had her hands open. At this point, I had not touched her at all. I'm just standing in front of her. About like this. So she gets done. And she prays, and I could tell by her facial expression, she had her eyes closed, but I could tell that Holy Spirit was really working. And she gets done, and I said, well, how do you feel? She goes, wow, I, I really feel good. I said, well, were you, have, were you in pain when you came forward? Yeah, I was in a lot of pain. I said, well, what's the level of pain now? Is it a 10, 5, what? what? She goes, it's, it's all gone. And I said, now, it's not coming back. Just forgive. Just forgive. Just practice forgiving. Repentance is the best friend any of us have. Use it as often as you can. It just cleans up so much stuff. That's, so, was she healed? Yes, she was healed. But how was she healed in that case? She was healed. I had the authority over the stronghold. Holy Spirit pointed out to me what it was, and ultimately, through just chatting with her, I was able to get her to the point where she could see that she did have unforgiveness. And the minute she confessed it, she was healed. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that? Yeah. We are spirit, soul, and body. You know that. We're intricately connected. Um, I've kind of, I play around with with vocabulary and uh, because as things change unless we need new words. I don't know at this word how long this is going to stick. This is, but it's kind of where I've come to with that as our soul prospers. For me, when I look at that now, 
what I, what I see is as my heart-mind prospers, my body prospers. There, I mean, we know scientifically now that the heart and the mind, the heart, there's a connection. They each have a, a um, magnetic field that's, that surrounds them. But actually they know that our heart, our literal heart, actually speaks more than our brain does. And our brain picks up what the heart's telling it. And so there's this mind-heart connection that's at work all the time. And we can go even further with that. Scripture speaks about the reins, the reins of a man, and these are the reins of a man, my gut. And, you know, for years, we'll say, well, I just had a gut feeling. Well, that's not just some uh, phrase. It's an actual thing. You, I feel it. So there's feelings in our gut that starts picking up an atmosphere that's around me and starts speaking to me. And I can feel it and I can be sensitive to it. My heart does that. My mind does it. So we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when this thing, this heart or this uh, body, soul, and spirit come into right alignment, it's incredible. And I don't think we've even begun to see what that's going to look like. We're only beginning to discover this stuff. It's just, and the Bible's been saying it all along. It's like, it's not, I used to always say, you know, when the Bible would speak about the heart, I always made it a metaphor because it meant something else. The heart actually meant the soul. But now I'm like, no, when the Bible says heart, it's talking about this thing that's pumping blood that's been created in an incredible way that actually does things that when I can see it and understand it and partner with it, I do better. Actually, the, the, the brain is six feet and the heart is 12 to 15. And there's some thinking that with the heart, it's even further than that, but we don't have instruments yet that can measure it. That's, it's not that the heart that's limited, it's actually our instruments are still limited. They're not sharp enough yet. But think about that. My heart, your heart, is giving off a field around us. So if it's, even if it's 12 feet, so if I move right here, I am now connected with every one of you and you're connected with me. We're, we're connected together at a deeper level than just what voice is doing and I and all the other the senses that we use. We're, we're literally, literally bonding together. Which I should leave that alone because that like, goes back to the whole thing on strongholds and I... which goes back to authority. When I understand the authority that I have, that my, control, my authority is not author, authority to rule over and control others. My authority, my authority is to serve. When that starts to become a normal reality for me, then when I start interacting with people, I'm looking at how do I serve them? 
What, what can I release to you in this exchange? Whatever it is. And it can be with total strangers. Um, you know, we, 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 eh, we kind of go up and down in how often we do this. But one of the things that we like to do, I say we, this bunch of us from the church, when we go out to lunch or whatever, we like to give prophetic words to people, or mainly the waitresses. So oftentimes we'll sit down at a, at a table and, be, and while we're all doing whatever we're doing at dinner, we're like, so who's got the word for the waitress or waiter? And, you know, we'll, you know, oh, I don't have anything. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think I have something. Okay. And like the other night we were, we didn't play that game, who's got the word, but we were out to dinner with another couple and the waitress, she, you know, real, real neat young lady and we had, you know, talked with her and, and towards the end of the meal, I was like, ah, I have a word for her. And it didn't, at the table itself, it didn't work out to actually do it with everything that was going on for me to actually talk to her. So, and then she had moved on, and I thought I'd kind of lost the moment. But as I was turning the corner, she was coming out from waiting on another table. And I said, can I, can I share something with you? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I said, well, I'm a Christ follower, and... Um, sometimes he shows me things and I don't know. I said, I, when I saw you, I just kind of saw this and I gave her the word that I had for her. And I said, so I don't know. Is that, is that okay with you? I mean, does that work for you? And she said, oh my goodness. That's, you know, she's all stoked about it. And, and she was already bubbly anyway. It didn't take much to pump her up more, but it was just the idea that, you know, when we're, what's the authority that I had? Is the, you know, uh, I don't want to say this. There was a time in, a, in, a, in my life, a season in my life, where when we talked about authority and we talked about um, authority over the demonic, my focus was on that. So if I went out in public, what I was looking for was darkness because I have authority over it. So I'm always looking for the darker side of something. If you want to find the darker side of something, you'll find it. It's there. The question is, why do you want to find that? When the authority I've been given is to see what's the Father doing. So I want to see light. I don't want to see darkness. And I'm not ignoring darkness. If darkness gets in my way, it's going to have to get out of my way. But I'm not looking for it. I'm looking for light. So Jesus said, I only did what I saw the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He was always in the authority that he had. He was always moving from a place of light to light. So when he moved into a situation, he changed the situation with light. Even if it was a dark situation. Because we could say when the, the woman took in, caught in adultery was brought out and thrown at his feet, you know, you could say, oh, that was a dark situation. You know, she's full of darkness. You know, we could, you, you, could, you could easily jump in with the Pharisees on their side and run with that. Jesus moved from light to light, and when it was done, darkness was dispelled, and she was given light. I just think that's the way we're supposed to operate. I think that should be how we're operating in every situation we're in. Is the situation better 
when I leave or is it worse when I leave? Um, I haven't perfected that one yet. I, I can make messes. I can leave things worse. But my goal is I want it to be better. I want it to be better. Um, Rob, one of the guys, well, actually, Rob Westbrook, who you guys are going to be leaving with tomorrow, was speaking at church last Sunday. I was away, so I didn't get to hear it. It's not up on our live stream archives yet. But Rob said something that I think is really profound, and, and I just love it. He is, when I touch somebody in life, I want to leave the fingerprint of Jesus. I'm like, that's huge right there. That's just huge. You're my hero right there, Rob. I want to do that. I want to leave the fingerprint of Jesus. Because if I'm leaving the fingerprint of Jesus, whether everything I prayed for they get or not, whether everything works out the way I would like it to work out, but the fingerprint of Jesus, that's the very essence of him. That's his life. That's his love. That's his grace. That's what changes the heart of a person. It's wonderful when all of our prayers just work out and you go, dang, that was good. But on the day that our prayers don't work out, did I leave the fingerprint? Did I do that? That's his essence. That's the authority I have, that I can leave that fingerprint every place I go. And when Rob said that, what made, something that made me, it brought back a mental picture that I had not uh, thought about for quite a while. I used to serve as chaplain for the Milford Police Department, so I rode along with officers on a regular basis. And I noticed that every time an officer pulls somebody over, when he's walking from his car to your car, and I know none of you have ever had that experience, but I have. And when I was looking in the rearview mirror and he was walking from his car to my car, besides the fact that my heart was racing and I was, this is going to cost me, um, besides all that, what the officer will do when he walks up to the back of your car, he'll touch the trunk lid with at least two fingers with a firm touch, and then he'll come on to meet you. And I, asked, I, I started noticing that as I right noticed. I asked one of the officers one day, I said, how come you do that? You do that every time you stop a car. He goes, yeah, we're trained to do that. I said, well, Why? He goes, because if anything happens, I want my fingerprints on that vehicle. So they know that vehicle was what was at the scene of my whatever happens to me. Like, okay. And when Rob said what he said about leaving the fingerprint, it brought back that picture. And it's like, man, I want that. Because no matter what happens to me, I want the fingerprint of Jesus left on that car, that person, that, that moment, that event. Why? Because there is a book of remembrance. There are rewards. And it's not bad to think about those rewards. If you weren't supposed to think about them, he wouldn't have brought it up. He is a rewarder. He actually enjoys rewarding. Because he enjoys seeing us succeed. Um, I want to I jump back to Matthew 28 just for a moment and say, give, cover one more point there that I neglected when I was cruising through that. Verse 19, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Discipleship and authority, 
like what what are we what is this, what does true discipleship look like is discipleship taking somebody through a discipleship class where we teach you certain things or is discipleship somebody walking with me through life and watching how I do life in a way that they can replicate it and improve it in their own life. So this place of authority, uh, it's not hierarchical. It's not something where those that have the most authority are the elite. That's the way the world does authority. In the kingdom, authority is, takes us low. But when I know who I am, I'm never afraid to go low because going low never affects who I am. So those that know who they are the best serve the best because I can just go low. I'm not, I, I had, in one respect, in reputation, in what people might say and all that kind of stuff, doesn't really make any difference. How do I serve the authority that I've been given? How do I use that to serve? And then how do I make a way for other people to come with me and to walk with me? You know, Paul, when he said, you know, the things that you've seen me do, do them. Well, obviously, they had to see him do something that he was now saying, I can be your example. And again, we, you know, for some of us, we would be at a place going, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. That's just such a proud statement. No, none of you know who you are. Because knowing who I am always connects me in a deeper level with the one that created me. And the more I'm connected there, then it's easy to say, you know, just, you know, what you saw me do there, do it. And that's not a proud statement at all. It's actually a life statement. And it's crazy that we, do, we should be doing that with our families. We take our children through life with us and we teach them certain things. This is how you drive a tractor. This is how you, you know, you use a saw or you canned tomatoes or whatever we're teaching them. This is how you deal with conflict when they come home and they've had a falling out with a friend and we walk them through that. We don't think that is like some proud, arrogant, how dare you? What do you think you are, a parent or something? I mean, we don't do that. But we come into the church and all of a sudden we act like that's some kind of bizarre behavior if somebody does that. When in fact, that's what real discipleship is about. It's not whether you went through the class and you took all six classes and you can quote these scriptures and you can do this and you can do that and you know all that. That can all be valuable stuff. I'm not kicking against it, but that's not discipleship. Because that, and it's, I can take somebody all the way through that and bring you out the other side and you could have got an A plus in everything that we wanted you to do. And your relationship with the one who you should have a relationship with isn't one iota closer than before I took you through my discipleship class. But if I'm going to bring somebody 
and actually make a disciple. And it, this, this piece just totally always catches me where Jesus wasn't even talking about individuals. He's like, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I, again, I, this is not a critical statement. It's just an observation. But for years in the churches I was in, when we had our missions weekend, because you had to do that once a year, so we felt like we were fulfilling the Great Commission. There's no way I'm going on the mission field. But by golly, you know, we got that dear sweet couple, and they've gone to Timbuktu, and they live in a hut, and they've got six people that come over once a week for a Bible study. Bless God, and we're giving them $10 a month. We're just fulfilling the Great Commission. That's not the Great Commission. And we, we, I've, I listen to people when they talk about, you know, we're just, you know, we've only got a few more people groups and, and, and we'll soon have the, the word of God in every language. And they, they paint that picture. And again, I'm not being critical. Every, every people group should have the word of God in their language. I absolutely am on board with that. I love that concept. So, yeah, I'm not, so I'm not kicking against that. That is not discipling nations. If we lead this village of people, if the majority of this village of people come to know Jesus Christ and have an, a real encounter with him, if that's all we've told them is necessary, if that's all we've demonstrated to them, we've not made disciples, and that is not fulfilling the Great Commission, and we are not discipling a nation because this tribe of people accepted Jesus. Discipling nations doesn't take place, and this comes back to authority, discipling nations does not take place until the believers, the Christ followers of that nation have integrated and influenced every realm of that nation's governmental structure. That's discipling a nation. That's what changes a nation. If we if we want to see uh, the the you know the, the the slave trade that's going on internationally, if you want to see that stopped, there's a lot of things that are happening now that are good. But if you want to see that stopped, then in the nations where uh, it is prevalent, in the nations that are the feeder nations and all the little, all the pieces, the players in this whole global thing, when we start discipling a nation in such a way that's, that the, the stronghold of that nation, the demon of that nation, the mindset of that nation shifts from slavery is acceptable to justice is acceptable, we're starting to disciple a nation. And that changes the world. And we have the authority to do that and to, to pull back and, and, and minimize our authority to only being able to come into some group of people and, and have them, you know, accept Christ as Savior. And please, I'm not, I'm not kicking against that, but that's not what we've been called to do. That's the starting point. But if we, if we start there and we stop there, we're not discipling a nation. We're not changing a nation. It's almost like you think that, it, that you change the phrasing from make disciples of all nations to make 
some disciples within each nation. Yeah. And then we got the goal. Yeah. If three believers from each people group in Jesus will have to come back. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because the world system is always going to operate under the parameters that the world system operates in. So we, the church, have been called to be leaven that goes into that system in a way that changes that system. And it changes it, to your point, not so much by getting laws to change, although laws have their place and that, that can that can play into it in certain things, but ultimately it's the heart of people that are changing. And when we can break the stronghold, the lie over a nation that finds it acceptable, when, when somehow, some way, what's happening with Shores of Grace in Brazil, when just, if just in that region that they serve, if they're able to, to shift this, the, the lie that a parent sees more value in the cash they get from selling their child than the child that's in front of them, when that happens, it changes. And we can pass all the laws we want, but the black market will always run faster than the laws that we enact. But when I move with the authority that I start from light and I'm releasing light no matter where I go. And, and, and again, I think I, well, in circles I traveled in, you know, authority kind of would be presented in a way that somehow I, I was able to now put on like this Teflon or this bubble suit. So, you know, with the authority that I have, nothing can touch me, no, no ill can come upon me. No, no, you know, nobody can get me this and that. And, and there's plenty of testimonies of people that have, uh, I, there was a guy that was at our house a couple of years ago from Lebanon, Zach, Zach Anani. And he had multiple stories of believers in Lebanon that were, once they, you know, once, you know, Muslim, now they become a believer. They were hunted by Hezbollah and the various stories of, of people that would end up getting you know, like trapped in an alley and they would just open up and, and open fire on them. And when it was done, they, they left, you know, the people had fallen down, but when they got up, the bullet holes were in their clothes, but there were no holes in their body. But there was the bullet hole here and there was the bullet hole here. There just wasn't any bullet hole in between. Now, that's incredible. I love that stuff. You know, and, and so that's, all, you know, that's, that's a powerful testimony. But at the same time, there's other people that the bullet went in here and they did come out there and then they lost their microphone and everything. Um, 
So my, my point in that story is that in, a, in the authority that we have, there are times that we lay down our life, but we've left our fingerprint. We've left the print of Christ. And it doesn't mean that everything always works out exactly the way we want it. But in the midst of that, I am releasing the kingdom. Yeah. Okay, so we're, that was a, a wrap up from session one. One other thing with authority and discipleship is, and this, this happened to me a couple years, well, more than a couple years ago now, but it was, it was really pointed to me, and I've, I've really tried to practice it ever since. Um, I was actually traveling to England with Dennis DeGrasse, a guy that's pastor of church in this area for years and now is on the road. And Dennis moves in the prophetic a lot. And I'm not somebody, the, moving in the prophetic gifting, I have it, but it's not like my first, first go-to, right? So I, I, you know, to come in here with you guys tonight, the first thing I'm not, th the, the first, yeah, what I'm not thinking about first is, well, I want to prophesy over all of you, you know. Um, it's just not my go-to. But Dennis, man, dude is sharp. So we're in England. And I had gone with him. It was my first time there. And I basically had gone just to carry a suitcase. Like, I don't have to speak. I mean, I just, just to be with you, to watch, you know, to, to help where I can. I have no expectation beyond that. And so we're, in, we're there for 10 days. And we're, we're doing this series of services at this one particular church. And the second night, Dennis moves from uh, sharing some things to, to prophetic ministry. And um, he prophesies over a couple people. And then I'm sitting over on the front row. And he goes, well, Bob, why don't you come up and uh, you might as well help me here. You can prophesy as well. And I'm like, well, we haven't really talked about that. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I just, I, I'm not getting anything. I'm just not getting anything. But you can't really do that, right? I mean, I'm not. So I go and I stand up beside Dennis and, you know, he's calling this one out, and he's calling that one out, and he's giving a couple words. And, and he takes his water bottle, and he stands back. He goes, well, Bob's going to take it from here. And he just kind of moves away. Well, now, I'm standing. I mean, it's a church like 300 people. I'm standing there. Like, I felt like I was naked in front of this whole church. I'm like, so I'm like, okay, do I have a word? Holy Spirit, you're going to give me a word. And he highlighted this guy sitting in the back. And so I said, you. And I began to give the guy a word. Well, it was one of those things like, I'm talking to the guy. The look on his face isn't really giving me much feedback. But the whole church is like agreeing with the word. You ever been in one of those things? People are like chuckling and like, oh, my goodness. You know, I'm like, wow. So I went ahead and prophesied over that and other people that night and then as the week went on Dennis just started bringing me up and we just tag teamed and I was having a blast and what I realized was Dennis was discipling me and I was actually the authority that he moved in I was getting to pull on that and get benefit from him being with me and you go, well how do you know that because when I came home it wasn't like it was when I was with Dennis it's like and since I can't take him everywhere to stand next to me so I can prophesy, then I had to kind of learn how to do it myself. 
And, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you sensing? You know, what am I sensing? What are you saying? That type of thing. So this idea of discipling, with the authority and the power that we have, we need to be giving that away. We need to be training up those around us and just making it accessible so others can learn. I, I love taking the kids from our church when I'm going out, uh, especially the teenagers. They're just a blast. I'll take them, and I'll do the same thing that Dennis did to me. I'll get them there, and they're like all thinking it's just going to be cool. We're just hanging out, and you know, we're just grooving with everybody. And then at, when they least expect it, trial by fire. <laughs> and you just watch them. And then they do it. They pull it off. They're great. They just charge in there, and they do it. And then we get to talk about it on the way home. And like, well, so what had happened? What were you sensing? How did that feel? You know, just give them, the, um, give them that opportunity. One, one young lady, some of you know her, Amanda, uh, Amanda Cates, uh, years ago, she, um, we had her go through every leadership position in the church and intern with each of us for about, I think it was three months. So um, during that time, I had her uh, speak on a Sunday morning. I mean, if she had a message, she had been working on something. It wasn't like it was just cold, you got to stand up. But she said just the other week, she was over for dinner. She was, you know, she was, when you did that, I'm thinking, where else can a 19-year-old stand up in front of a church and just be able to bring the message that day? She was, I just didn't know any other place I could have that experience. She was, and at 19, I got that experience here. And she's been preaching ever since. Discipleship is relational it's bringing somebody alongside. It's training them, giving them everything we have, making it accessible to them. And, and then just learning to be, to be honest with it. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't get it all. And if I don't, then I'm not going to fake it. If you ask me and I don't know, I'm just going to tell you I don't know. Because my identity finally is healed enough that I don't feel like I have to know. And I'm not intimidated by people that do know. Actually, if you do know, then I'm going to sit next to you and ask you questions because, you know, I didn't used to be that way. Years ago, a um, good friend of mine lived with us for years, was blind, uh, was, had been a juvenile diabetic, which is why he was blind. He'd gone through all the, all, the, all the horrendous, miserable stuff that diabetes does, and we just watched him. We watched him die before us one piece at a time. And then ultimately, you know, he died. And uh, I was so, like, I was done. I'm like, I'm done with this whole healing thing. I don't want any parts of it. I don't understand it. It doesn't work. Um, some people must be able to do it, whatever. You know, go see Benny Hinn. I mean, because I... Everybody I've seen to pray for dies. And I just, I chucked it. And years later, the Lord started to deal with me and through a series of things. Um, one day I'm watching the Sid Roth show, that it's Supernatural show, which I don't watch it hardly at all, but I was watching this one and Frances Hunter was on. And at that time, she was like in her late 90s, I think. And she was refired and ready to take healing to the nations. I'm like, that's incredible. Charles had already gone on the glory. And the hunters, when I chucked it all, 
that a book that had been given to me was How to Heal the Sick. And I think I only made it to about page five and threw it in the trash can. I'm like, I don't want nothing to do with this. I'm done with this thing. You all go heal the sick. I'm going to go do something else. Threw it in the trash can. So now I'm watching Francis on TV. And she's, you know, telling all these stories. And, and I, I mean, my heart had changed. So I was back like, okay, somehow, how does this work? I, I'm, gonna, I'm open to it. We had an encounter with Randy Clark, and there, some stuff was really starting to shift. So she's telling all these stories. So at the end, you know, Sid Roth, I mean, you know, at some point, he, you know, he's going to get everybody praying and all this stuff. And so he says to Francis, he goes, well, Francis, I want you to pray a, a prayer of impartation for all of our listeners. And so she says, well, this is what I want everybody to do. Just right where you are in your living room, whatever, I want you to come and put your hands on the TV screen. And when I pray the prayer of impartation, the power of God is going to come through the TV and it's going to get you. And like, well, that was at the end. I, I jumped ahead a little bit. So she's doing all this. So I'm saying, God, I want it, I want it, I want it. And out of nowhere, the Lord just says, no, you don't. Like, yeah, no, I do, I do. I'm crying because I mean, these testimonies she's sharing, I'm probably feeling like you're feeling, oh, it was just something was stirring inside of me. And I was like, oh, God, I want this, I want this. And he's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Why? Like, what do you mean I don't? He goes, you threw her book away. I'm like, I forgot I'd even done that. And here he brings back the fact that I had chucked her book. That had to have been like 15 years ago or something. It was a long time ago, right? No, nah, it was maybe not 15. But anyway, I chucked her book, forgot about it, and now God brings it up. Oh, my God. And so I repented. I'm like, I'm just, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And I left. The, the show was still going on, but I got up and left. Because it was one of those points I had repented before the Lord, and I knew he'd heard me, and I knew he'd forgiven me. You know, there's just sometimes those places where I, I need to repent before a human. I need to be looking somebody in the eye when I do this, because I, I need that, I need that piece of the exchange, whatever that's. So I had left. I called Bob Hayes, one of the other pastors in our church, and said, look, this is what just happened. I need to repent to somebody, so I'm, I'm going to repent to you, okay? He says, yeah. So I repent to Bob, go through the whole thing, and thankfully he forgave me. That was kind of hanging in the balance, but he did. He told me it was okay. And so the next day, I'm walking through the den where, where our TV is. I'm walking through the den, and that same show is on. So I sit down. I thought Linda had turned the TV on before she went to the barn. So I sit down, and the show was right where it was when I left. So I plunked down. Francis is talking some more. And then that's when she said, you know, if you want this, come up, put your hands on the TV. The power of God's going to, you know, that whole thing. And see, and only God would know how to do that because for me, that was like the most hokey thing you could ever ask me to do. I'm like, I ain't doing it. I mean, come on. I'm not going to go put my hands. I mean, it's like, that's ridiculous. God, if you want. And, and the Lord goes, I told you you didn't want it. I'm like, ah, I do, but I want it my way. So, I'm like, so then I figured, well, it's only me and the dog. And I don't think the dog's going to tell anybody. 
So if there was ever a safer place to be ridiculous, this is it. So I get off the couch feeling like an idiot, an absolute idiot. I go over, I bend down, I put my hands on the TV, feeling like an idiot, knowing that nothing's going to happen, that this is all ridiculous, hokey stuff. She prays, the power of God hit me, blew me all the way back on the couch, and I couldn't move. And I'm like, that was amazing. I don't believe in this stuff, but that was really amazing. I don't know what that means. And <laughs> so later, I told her, I said, you know when you left the TV on today? She goes, I didn't leave the TV on. I said, no, before you went down to the bar, she goes, I didn't, I didn't turn the TV on. I, it's, I didn't have it on. I'm like, well, but when I came in, the TV was on. She goes, I don't know how the TV was on. I didn't turn it on. I wasn't watching TV. I'm like, okay. You trapped me. You set that whole thing up. And it was shortly thereafter that we started seeing people get healed. And still seeing people get healed. And Randy Clark said, and this, this really helped me, maybe this will help you. Randy Clark said in one of his meetings, is, I have people all the time saying, I don't pray for the sick anymore because that doesn't work. He said, I'll ask him, well, how many people have you prayed for? Well, I prayed for three, I prayed for five. He goes, that doesn't count. He says, you can't say it doesn't work till you've at least prayed for 200 people and you've seen nothing happen. Then come back and talk to me. I'm like, 200, huh? All right, I'll go for that. And started praying and there was a bunch of people that didn't get healed, but then... There was that day that somebody did. You know, and why, why does it work that way? I don't know. It's part of the mystery. I don't know. Part, part of it is, is us, our heart shifting. Um, you know, there's just so much, there's so much that goes into healing. The person that's carrying the sickness and all that that is. And there's a couple of things I, at this point, there's a couple of things I think I think I've learned along this way. I hold them loosely, but I think I've learned them. Places where we've suffered loss, we gain higher authority if we don't pick up the offense. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if we, can, if we can walk through the loss and not pick up the offense against another person, against God, there's something, I don't know, I don't, I don't fully understand it, but there's, there's, there's a rise in authority that we have. Um, the first person in our church that was raised from the dead, I prayed for that person. And afterwards, one of the other people in the church said to me then, it was, actually it was Bob Hayes, he was, you know you had to be first. I said, I wasn't thinking about that. What do you mean? He goes, you lost your daughter you had the authority to bring life to that other person. And so the very place that we suffer loss somehow becomes a place that we can give life. And so what we try to do is when, when any of us walk through loss in our, in our community, when we walk through loss, we try to, to as quickly as possible, I mean, people need 
you know, depending on the loss, you need time to heal and, and don't, don't ever spiritualize stuff without healing and, and giving yourself that time. We, as Christians, we do ourselves a huge disservice by somehow spiritualizing it away and I'll just go do ministry now. And like, what a, don't do that. Just don't do that. Grieve, mourn, it's, it's healthy, it's, it's the way we've been made. Let God work his work in that moment. But on the day that you've moved beyond that, you now do have authority in a place that you didn't have authority before. And so go for it. Just go for it. So that, that's, that's something that I've, I've seen. Um, the, other, the other thing is I don't ever pray for someone to be healed. Jesus told us, heal the sick. Don't pray for the sick, heal the sick. So with authority, when I encounter somebody that's sick or diseased, I command it to leave, I call them into wholeness, I, the, the light that I've been in, I'm releasing that light into that person, you know, however, however that works itself out, I mean, different, there's certainly all kinds of ways that we can do that, but I don't pray for someone to be healed. One of the, one of the things I think that we, that becomes detrimental to healing is we end up bartering with God, with this person, like, well, God, she's got three small children, and, you know, she just can't die, because who are these, who's going to be the mama? We, we build this country western song around this, and God's standing there going, excuse me, uh, excuse me, it's already done, I mean, why, why are we, what, what's, the, what's with the dealing here? 2,000 years ago, I already did all that, I settled it, it's done, why are you coming to me as if somehow you've, if you can make the story sad enough, I, I'll finally do something? It's like, no. No. Be healed. Be healed. I have the authority. It comes all the way through Christ, through his blood, through his suffering. Be healed. Be healed. So, and the, and the, Probably one of the other things that's been really big is people that we're praying for, and I can tell just by the way you're talking about these people, you're not doing this, uh, which is good, that people are never, should never be a project. We should just love them. And if I pray for you and what I pray doesn't really work out, if I've loved you, then you've, had an, you've come close to the kingdom. If you're a project, man, most people can smell that a mile away and nobody wants to be a project, especially if I'm sick. I already got enough problems. I don't need, you, I don't need to be your project, you know. So, and I, and I know just by the way you're talking that that's not what you do. But we just love people. Yeah. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. Just, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty simple order right there. Just do good. And release the people that have been oppressed by the devil. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. But we have the authority to do that. Could it be that when Jesus says that we are to be in the world, 
but not of the world. But this issue of authority is really what he's talking about. The world has one way that they operate in authority, and it is lording over. But in the kingdom, it's never about lording over. And so if I'm not of the world, maybe it doesn't have a whole lot to do with whether I went to the movies or not, or I like to dance, or all the other stuff. Um, Maybe it has more to do with just the idea of this authority that I have. I don't want to be of the world with this authority. I want to be of the kingdom with this authority. And it just functions different. It functions different. With, with any of us, with you two in particular, but with any of us, when we're dealing with, with healing issues... One of the other things that becomes, uh, I think, uh, another piece that I've seen is that our ability to, like sometimes when, we're t- when you know, you've just been prayed for, so you go, well, I don't know, the symptom still seems to be there. So we start battling against the, the symptom, you know. That, that's actually a false battle because it's already been defeated where we, where we uh, if we can position ourselves to come to a place of, of just developing thankfulness. Now, not thankfulness because I've got this or I've got that, but thankfulness that in Christ I've been made whole. And I just position myself to, to walk with a thankful heart regardless of what today might be looking like externally. I'm just going to be thankful. Because thankfulness and forgiveness... Not having the offense are two things that are, that are huge. So make sure you forgive yourselves if there's something that you're, you're taking ownership of something because, well, I did this or I did that. Now, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So even if you did do it, you're forgiven. And if you're forgiven, then stop acting like you're not forgiven. This is not a place of, of you've got to have a you know, pay a penitence. And if you, do, if you suffer enough, then God goes, yeah, I think maybe I'll let you off the hook now and go ahead and heal you. No, he's already done that. So don't you do that. So. And your first name? Kurt. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, I thank you for Kurt. I thank you, God, that you have redeemed him. Father, I thank you uh, that you were speaking to him long ago. And the words that you were speaking to him were pointing him towards Christ. And at the right time, everything came together. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for redeeming. I thank you that it's your heart to reconcile us to yourself. It's your heart to fill us with your your love, your grace, your mercy, to just fill us to overflowing. And I thank you, Lord, for Kurt, that it's his heart to give away everything that uh, he's received. And so with that, I I just declare over you more, more, more 
more, more of his power, more of his authority, more of his love. As you're interacting with these people, just more, more that when you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And when you come in contact with somebody that's oppressed by the enemy, that, that oppression is going to be broken. And that you walk in the, the love of the Father, you walk in the authority of the Father. And these people that, as you said, just kind of get dropped in your lap, um, man, you are just like the guy that can find all the stray dogs on the block. And that's exactly how God's wired you because your heart is open and people know that. I mean, they come to you for a reason. People don't go where they're not wanted. And so they know that your heart is open to them and that's why they come. You do have the answers. You know, you have the way of life uh, to show them. And um, I, just, I just see you as like, just like this, you know, this uh, liberator in the kingdom. Someone that, um, you know, even kind of the, the picture I get is kind of a medieval type of thing where like, man, you got the armor on, you're like, oh, wow. you're like ready to do it and you just come in as the liberator and you're not even, you're not even afraid of any of that. It's like, man, I mean, you know, so go liberate. Yeah. Well, that's the picture I saw, man. You just, I mean, it's nice looking armor, too. I mean, you're really decked out. <laughs> and your first name? Amber. 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 Lord, I thank you for Amber. I thank you, oh God, for the things that you stir in her heart, for her desire to uh, just walk with you, to, to know you at deeper levels, for just the things that, that stir in her heart. Um, and um, I, I don't know if this is something that's happening now or it's something that's going to happen. But as I'm praying for you, I, I, it seems to me that you're one that um, through the night, it's not unusual to wake up during the night and, and be seeing things and, and, and realizing that, wow, God's like speaking to me now. Mm -hmm. And he gives you strategies, he gives you plans. He's, there's just things that he reveals to you through the night watch. Mm -hmm. And um, if that's not happening, I expect it to happen. If it is happening, I expect it to actually become sharper. I don't know that it'll be, it might be more, but it's at least going to be sharper. I've been in, waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning almost every night okay. since I've been pregnant almost. Okay. Well, 3 o'clock's a good time to wake up. There's a, there's a lot of us that are up at 3. And so just, Father, I just... Um, that you're giving, you are giving her strategies. Uh, you're using her as one who uh, can see what needs to to be released. Uh, you're giving her the plans, the purposes, the strategies. And so, uh, let that be sharper. Let it be um, more distinct in how it's coming. And Lord, let her voice. I just just the authority that you're carrying. Let that authority in your voice. Go forth to those that you're speaking, that, that the things that you're seeing, the things that he's showing you are his plans, his purposes. They are yes and amen 
and, and he's using you to touch a lot of people, a lot of people. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And Lord, we bless this, this new one. It's called fullness and joy. Lord, I thank you that uh, the, the plans and purposes that you have for this life are going to be amazing, are going to be amazing. And even speak over the labor and the delivery, that it'll be smooth, that uh, there'll be no, no issues, no problems, and it'll move quickly. And uh, I just, when, when, I, when I see the child, and what I just see in just big letters is joy, joy, joy. <laughs> yeah. Lots of joy. Lots of joy. Hallelujah. Hi. And what's your first name? Mary. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When I when I see you, Mary, I I, um, I see an orchid, and the thing about an orchid is, when you look at like the plant itself, there's there's nothing that really would would, in a sense, call your eye to the plant the way the plant grows. But the orchid itself puts out some of the most beautiful flowers of any flower that there is. And, and people, uh, you know, orchids are sought out and, 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 and taken care of all over the place. And I, I see you in the kingdom that way, that you, you are this, you, you're, you're this person that if people aren't careful, they miss you. But when they miss you, what they miss is the beauty of the flower that you are. Because God has put virtue in you. He has put a place in you where you, you carry, a, um, um, carry a strong place of integrity, a strong place of virtue, and you are willing to give that away to anyone that'll receive it. And so your beauty runs ahead of you to, those, to the people that are coming into your life. And so, in, in, in seeing that or in saying that, um, what I see with you, some of us have the, you know, we get, you know, we stand in front of groups of people and we do what we do. But others are very strategic in how the Father places them uh, into the lives of other people. And you're one of those people that he's very strategic with. So, you know, you don't necessarily get noticed maybe in, in, in larger circles. But that's because in some cases, he keeps you hidden because he keeps you strategic. But when you're discovered, the beauty that he's put in you 
and how that beauty touches other people and affects other people is rich. It's rich. You're very valuable in the kingdom. And orchids get a very special place to grow. You just don't put orchids out in your flower bed next to the marigolds. They get put in a very special place because they're a very special flower. And that's, that's how the Father has made you and that's how he takes care of you. And your first name, sir? Stan. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stan, like with you, you're, you're kind of like Mary. You're, you're, the, you're a person that has rich treasure on the inside. And you're, you're understanding the scope of what you see. You, you're able to um, put things together, um, put ideas together, bring, bring things that seem to be disjointed. You can see them in such a way that you put them together, you assemble them. And that's a very, really, uh, really valuable. And so for, that's how he's wired you. And he uses you strategically. Like when, again, like kind of in Mary's case, when you meet somebody, it's like you're able to just kind of build this relationship with that person. And what you build, you're able to give them that deep place that you have, that deep place of understanding, that deeper place of how you see the Father and how he works in your heart and how you're, to, how you're able to give that away to others. So you're a very strategic individual as well. Um, and the treasures that you carry are just deep and rich. And so, Father, I speak to those treasures in, in Stan, and I call them forth in new ways. Lord, there are, um, there are people that are waiting to meet you. And as you encounter them, you're going to be bringing life, life to them, life to them. Your words are words of life. And so just, just know that as you're just walking out life, as you walk out life, that there are strategic encounters that are happening over and over and over again. And just, just go for it. Just go for it. Um, maybe there's a tendency, I'm not sure about this, but maybe there's a tendency to kind of measure yourself by others around you. And when you do that, you kind of look at yourself and measure yourself less than. And the Lord's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Because that's not how I measure you. I measure you full of glory and grace. So. <laughs> Can we pray for you? What's your first name? Mike. 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 I like the coat. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the authority that you've placed in Mike. I thank you for the influence that he has through that place of authority. I thank you, God, for uh, joy 
this joy that fills his heart, joy that um, you, you just have a, you have a way of, of being optimistic about how you look at things. And uh, that's, uh, that's just a gift that he's put in you. It's the way that he's wired you. It uh, doesn't mean that you don't ever, you know, see something that you're not optimistic. There are those times, but you at your core, you're an, you, you move from a place of optimism. And God's put that in you. He's wiring that in you. There's an authority to actually release that in other people and to other people. And I just, the other thing that I sense is that there's, there's been times in your life where you've, you've kind of divided things that you do between what you would consider the secular and, and the holy. And, and the Lord is saying, don't do that. I, I've, I've created you in a way, I've wired you in a way that I like doing what you like to do. And I've wired you to do the things that you do. And they're holy. They're holy. So just... Just go with him in that. There's, uh, don't, don't make one higher than the other. They're, they're all holy. Okay. And what's your first name? Caroline. It's my mother's first name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for Carolyn. I thank you for um, the plans and the purposes that you have for her. I thank you for the authority that you've given her. I thank you for the way that she even moves in the authority uh, that you have given her. Um, my sense of things is that you move... Uh, You're quiet in presence, but you're deep in faith. And so um, as you have the ability to kind of move in, in and around groups of people, uh, you're not always, um, just because you're quiet in presence, you can be there and you actually are, are a strong influencer in places where people don't even know you're influencing. Um, but your words just carry that kind of weight. Your words carry that kind of uh, that kind of release, and and the Lord is going to use you even more for that. He's got you in some very strategic places, and I think in some of these places He's already shown you the word that He has for you to speak. You haven't spoken it yet. Um, my sense is that you've been somewhat. I don't know whether I should or I shouldn't. If that's what you've been been sensing, you should, you should. The words from the Lord, and and He's going to make a way uh, that as you speak, it's going to bring change, it's going to bring release, it's going to bring life, it's going to bring life. So, um, and enjoy being able to fly under the radar screen. Radar, <laughs> and uh, just 
just actually capitalize on that, uh, perfect that even more, because it, it's giving you access into places that uh, you would not get otherwise. But because of the way you carry yourself and because of the way you walk, um, it's giving you access in. And you do have the word of the Lord. He has given that. And it's going to bring liberation. Well, the, the picture I see here is that there, there's, a, there's a door, and I don't know what the door represents, but there's a door that's been closed, and others have tried to open that door, and it's not open, and you, you've been looking at this, and you've been shown what needs to happen in order for that door to open. You just weren't quite sure whether that was your place to say anything or do anything. Saying yes, it is, and I've, I've given you, I've given you the the, the answers that are necessary. And as you begin to speak, that door is going to open because it's not a door. Just um, actually, I don't know that, that with that door opening, that there would be any direct benefit to you from it. But it's a door that, when it opens, it's going to benefit others, and you're going to get the joy of seeing that all come. And with anything I'm seeing, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, so don't, don't worry about it. So, Niagara Falls. Lord, I thank you for the authority that uh, you have placed in Tammy. I thank you for the teaching gift that you have called her to that uh, her ability to, to not only see, but to be able to, to speak, to release, uh, and, and, and carry what has to be carried at times to be the front runner, to be the one that breaks things open. That's, that's not always an easy position, but you've, you've equipped her for it. Thank you for that gift that's there. And I also, just in the authority that you have, I, I, just, I also pray that just call your heart to a place of peace. Call your heart to a place of rest. And uh, as God continues to sharpen your identity, that call your heart to a place of just internal confidence. It's not that words can't hurt, because they do. It's not that they can't trip us up because they do. But it's not a place where you live. It's not a place that has dominion over you. And those words that don't bring life fall to the wayside. As a giver of life, is supreme in your life, and his voice you know, and another voice you know. So, he's gone, but they go, his voice you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for, for just kind of the, the word that comes to mind is just, you know, it's like you woke you up. There was a, at a certain point something shifted and you woke.
if you looked around and like, huh, you know, I'm pretty much not satisfied with any of this. And you just began to, to see truth, speak truth, share truth, live truth. And many are being touched and benefited by what you're saying and what you're sharing. So, Father, I thank you for that. I pray wisdom for her. I pray that you give her, continue to sharpen her skills in how to communicate what you're speaking, communicate what you're showing in a way that releases life to those that can hear. Thank you. Thank you. Just more authority. Just more authority. More authority. Patiently waiting here. I'm coming. I'm coming. <coughs> What's your first name? Tina. Tina. When uh, we we stable horses, and um, so I get to watch them out in the pasture a lot. My wife is the equestrian. I'm not, but she's teaching me to like horses. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, I'm seeing and is, and something that I admire about horses is like they can, they can be standing with their heads down grazing and all of a sudden one of them gets something and they will all run back to the barn uh, or they'll run out whichever direction. Um, but there's that point horse that catches whatever they catch and and leads the other ones. And I, I see that with you. I see that you you are sharp in, in leading and sharp in catching the wind of what the Spirit's saying. So you're one that is able to say, look, this is, this is how we need to go. This is the direction we need to go. And you don't have to force it. You don't, it's not like you've got to argue people into any of it. Like that lead horse doesn't even ask the other ones if they want to go. It just starts, but in the starting, the others follow. And so I see that with you, that, that there's things that God is doing in you, that he's showing you things, he's giving you direction, and as you start to go, others just follow. Um, and you're not even having, you know, you don't have to work at it. You don't even have to convince them to come or to stay. It's, it's not, you don't have to do any of that. But what God's doing in you, what he's showing you, is is strong enough and it's uh, distinct enough that people go, oh, that's, that's the direction I want to go. That's where I need to go. And they go. And so um, that puts you in a place of leadership in a lot of places. Um, and when I say leadership, I don't necessarily mean titled leadership, although there's no, you know, that might be. But it's just this place, you just lead. Just in, in going, you just lead. It's the way you are. You can't, you can't not do it, right? You don't try to do it. You just can't not do it. If you start walking, somebody's going to follow you because that's what she's doing. But he's giving you his real sharpness in vision. So just rest in that. It's not, it's not something you have to do. There's not, I don't see with you, like, it's a distinct assignment, like, go do this. I, what I see with you, it's more like you just live life, and just in living life, you're giving the kingdom away. There's people that you're interacting with, they're attaching, they're following, and you're just giving life. 
You just give it a life. And you do it really well. Really well. So, slower, lower. <laughs> Your first name, Sherry. And you're a teacher. Okay. So there, there's a, there's just a, um, there's a strong place of anointing with you in the prophetic. And sometimes the prophetic looks like what I'm doing now. But a lot of times the prophetic doesn't quite look like that. It's more just hearing what God's saying and being able to, to say that in a way that others go, huh, I think, I think that's right. And so the, 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 so the prophet can be directional, but, but even beyond that, um, when we move in the prophetic, and this is what I, I sense for you probably as much as anything, all the prophets of the Bible, and I'm, I'm not calling you a prophet per se, I'm just saying the, the gift of prophecy, but all the prophets of the Bible were poets. All prophecy is poet. And especially right now where we are with what's happening in, in the, this reformation that we're in, this reshaping of the church and all that she's going to be and, and all that, we need songs of the poets because it's the poets that are able to create the rhythm that we all can follow so I don't know how how that how that works for you I don't it doesn't you know it doesn't mean you're a musician although you could be it doesn't mean that you're somebody that jumps up and you know thus saith the Lord although you could do that it's what I'm seeing is something different than that it's just you're you, you catch what the Spirit of God is saying, and you're able to, to say that in a way that, that people can go, oh, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that. Because there's a rhythm to what you're seeing. And, and I know you were sharing about the, the, during the break about the kids and trying to, you know, wherever you teach, and, and, and you know, the whole place of authority there. And, what I see the Lord is going to give you, and, and I'm going to just pray this over you in a minute to release that, but what I see the Lord giving you, there, there's a, especially with special needs kids, you know, kids that are struggling along with some of that, you know, those, those learning things, what, what happens is they get disconnected from what would be the normal rhythm of life. They have a rhythm. It's just different. And God's gonna give you a deeper insight into connecting with their rhythm. And when you do, it's just going to, these kids are gonna, they're gonna blossom. They're gonna blossom because the part of what he's giving you is a strategy to talk to them differently, to ask different questions, uh, to engage them at their rhythm. And they're gonna, they're going to start responding to you in an incredible way. And that's going to get noticed by a lot of people. And that, that whole thing is prophetic. Because it's, it's the song. There's a song that they're singing that the rest of us aren't singing. And so their rhythm is different. But it's discoverable. And the Father knows it. And 
opportunities and they give you the insight to do that. I don't know how all that, I don't even know what I'm saying right there. You're not a failure. Right at that point, you're at like there's that there's that place when there you know when we're at that place of inertia that the force that it takes to overcome the inertia that's the greatest amount of force we have to exert and once once we mo get things moving things in motion and we'll stay in motion and so you're at that point and that's what I'm sensing as I'm praying so you're at that point where this is all starting. You're getting understanding, and yeah, it, you, you felt like a failure, maybe, but this. I know the truth. I do know the truth, so I don't really let it get me. But I do like in my mind, I have to really yeah. fight yeah. to keep my mind right. Yeah. And my heart right. Yeah. Father, I just, I, you have placed her strategically where she is to bring life to these kids because you love them, every one of them. You love them. And the world would discard them and say that they're inferior and they have no place and would put certain labels on them and call them a lot of different things. But you have called them beloved. You love them. And so we call that forth. We, and as she's starting to make that connection, I speak wisdom being released, authority being released, a fresh understanding. This is going to be like out, really outside of the box, some of this stuff. And it's not going to fit the manual. It's not going to fit maybe even policies and procedures. But it's going to work. And it's going to be noticed. And it's going to bring life. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, what's your first name again? Sherry. Sherry. Sorry about that. So first, for Sherry, Father, I speak life, 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 fresh anointing, fresh anointing as she goes in. That as she goes in every day, Holy Spirit, go with her as she's going in. Let her sense the anointing as she comes into that class and with these kids that she is there on assignment 
that your love, your grace is moving through her to touch these kids and bring life and liberation to them and to let them know that they are valuable and that they are unique and that their uniqueness is not broken, but their uniqueness is special and, and that the, the uh, song that they're singing, the frequency that they're operating under, that Sherry is going to begin to see that, have access to that, and be able to shift that atmosphere, shift that sound, that these kids will uh, begin to respond to her in a new way, in a new way. That the, uh, the, uh, the stronghold that's there the mindset that's there. Um, we've been given authority over that. She's been given authority over that. And as she goes in, love wins. Love wins. Love wins. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? And what's your name? Zoe. Wow. Could I pray for you? Would that be okay? You do it now? I won't ask you to do anything. I'm just going to pray for you. That would be okay. So this is a strange man, and I don't know whether I want this strange man talking to me or not. other things I see is that in your life, you're going to find math to be a real friend. I know, I was pretty sure you did. But over time, you're going to find that math, one, you're going to be able to see math and understand the language of math. And when you understand the language of math and begin to speak that language, you're going to be able to do all kinds of incredible things. That when you're an adult, when you kind of look older than what you do right now, that math is going to end up being a very important part of your life. So it's okay not to like it now, but you're going to learn it and you're going to be really good at it. And it's going to open doors for you in a lot of different places because you are a very smart young lady. I can just tell. See, now that wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> and last but not least. Bless you. I, 
just over and over, I just hear, well done, well done, well done. And the Lord is saying, like, watch and see what I'm doing. Watch and see what I'm doing. Watch and see what I unfold. For there, there, there were those that had various reports, but the reports weren't my report, says the Lord. But watch and see what I'm about to do. For I'm bringing forth something that I've been longing to bring forth for a long time. I was looking for the one that would say yes. I was looking for the one that would be willing to walk with me through what I needed to do. Watch and see how I unfold this before you. For the report that I have is that you are well-pleasing to me. The report that I have is that I have set a place in your heart that gives you the ability to carry out my plans and purposes on the earth. The report that I have is that you're a man that pulls close to me and has desired me. The report that I have is that I have filled you with my spirit. I have brought forth that my plans, my purposes, my power, my anointing upon you. And the other reports I give no room to. For you are a unique man crafted by me for a specific purpose in a specific time. And this is now and just watch and see what I do. Watch and I see what I do. For my report is a report of abundance. It's the report of abundance. saying is hold your head high hold your head high it's not pride it's not pride it's not pride it's me you know me you know me you know me so hold your head high just watch and see watch and see what I do watch and see what I do I don't, I don't have any sense that that's like out there somewhere. My whole sense is it's like, it's now, it's now, it's now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just declare over Tim, I declare over this house in this season of rebuilding, I just call forth the carpenters. I call forth the planners. I call forth uh, the architects. I call forth the builders, the skilled laborers. Lord, even as uh, the picture I get is with Solomon, that there was this place where they came from far and from close, and they began to build. They began to build something that David had seen and that Solomon was building. And there are those that have seen what was to be built, and now is the season of the builders. And Tim, you're, you're there. You're in the midst of this. You will see things put together. And this building that is being built now will not be shaken the way previous buildings have been shaken. For this foundation is even a new foundation. 
Not that there isn't an honoring of what's past, not that there isn't an honoring of those that have labored before you and before this group that is here. So honor is there, but this is a new structure. This is a new, uh, new thing that's coming forth. And what comes forth, it will not be shaken the way things have been shaken in the past. It'll be built strong. It will be built in a way that invites in and makes a way for those that are coming. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this house. Thank you for, the, for, for every brick that's being laid, for everything that's being done, that even in this season where uh, as, as numbers go down, we, we find ourselves having, having to multitask on so many levels. But that's a short season. And those that are coming in are going to begin to fill those voids because what's rising up here is a community of Christ followers, a community of people that are going to walk together in unity, that are going to walk together in love, and that are going to understand and, and be able to appreciate the great diversity that comes in. And within that great diversity, see the wholeness that is Christ himself. So thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for these people. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of just being able to be here tonight and, and share with everyone. Thank you, oh God. Thank you.